G'day everyone, it's Wesley here from Business Blessings and we're up to episode 18 of Sacrificial Succession. Today we're looking at investing in who? Paul, who are we investing in? Well, we better be investing in someone or something that has value uh, because otherwise um, it'll be gone when we are. And, and this is, this is, and that's actually the stark reality of it, isn't it? So many, and I'm seeing this in businesses and ministries and you know, we know examples of uh, people who have done a great job over many, many years, but unless they can transition on that succession happens, it can die with them, which is very, very sad. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I put in there a quote from, and you've met uh, our the Christian Vision founder, Lord Robert or Bob Edmiston. And, you know, he said, when I'm on my deathbed, I'm not going to be thinking about the last million dollars I made but about my investment in people. Um, now, we may not have made a million dollars necessarily, yes. but the same question uh, is going to be very irrelevant. Um, we're going to be thinking much more about, you know, who is going to continue my legacy on after me? Which is a, it is a very key thing. Like I, I'm thinking about this more and more as my kids get older and seeing them grow and develop into things, but also in conversations I'm having with others about, um, particularly because I'm seeing a lot of people in their 50s, 60s and 70s actually start new things. But what is their legacy? What are they leaving behind? Um, Paul, the basis for this is 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This whole multiplication thing is so key. Yeah, it is. And it's interesting if you study that verse carefully, that there are at least three generations of um, leader and potential leaders or successors, you know, within the logic of that verse, because we have Paul who's talking to Timothy, who's his successor, and then encouraging him to pass it on to others who are qualified to then um, pass it on to others. So you could say that there are actually four generations of um, leaders and successors here uh, in the model that Paul has in mind that he's entrusting to, to Timothy. And so, you know, for me, this was, again, one of those really aha-type verses where it became an epiphany for me to to actually uh, be thinking about you know well how many generations am i actually investing into um or am i investing in no one essentially except myself yes that's right and the other thing with that is okay there's four generations there but he's also setting the scene for them to continue that on as well. He yeah. said the pattern. Yeah. This is Absolutely. what happens. And as you try others up so that, that it goes on well past them as well. So Paul was very good about writing his letters. Is it like we, you look at everything that he wrote in prison. Um, uh, you know, sometimes we think, well, it wasn't good that he was in there, but look what he accomplished during that time. And he talked about the legacy, the legacy. And that is like the I often think back, we are reading stuff today that he wrote 2,000 years ago, and it's a huge legacy. And 
I often think about are people going to be reading stuff that I write now in 2000 years time? I mean, we may all be in heaven by that time. I don't know. Yeah. Well, either way, you know, if you think about the, the commitment that he made to, you know, he was in prison, but he continued to write to those who were his successors. Um, he went on his missionary journey. So, you know, one of the criticisms that was made against Paul uh, by the Corinthians was that, you know, he didn't hang around long enough. Um, and the point he made was, <clears throat> I build foundations, other people build on them. But the foundations that he built were strong because people could continue the work even when he was no longer there, either due to being in prison or on another missionary journey, he was leaving instructions behind for his successors so that they could continue the work that he started on those strong foundations. And that's why we read these epistles uh, today is because they're the foundations on which to build ministries and churches and even organizations. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's inspiring. He's inspiring because of the legacy that he left, you know, for us, but also for um, his immediate followers. And the same goes for Jesus. You know, he had a core group of 12 um, disciples who ultimately became the leaders of the movement, his successors. But we know that he also sent out 70 or 72, depending on the version, uh, by two two by two out into the areas that he was going to visit. Um, and they were another group who presumably continued the work as well. And so that's a huge number of successes, remembering he was in his early 30s. Um, and you're talking about people who are in, you know, late to yes, yes. middle age. <laughs> and that's wonderful that they're starting something new. You know, the question is perhaps did what they leave um, behind to start something new, what sort of legacy do they have there? And are they thinking um, about this next stage in life, uh, what sort of legacy they're going to be leaving behind? Because as you know, if we're not intentional about it, it's not something that happens by accident or naturally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So, Paul, you make one of the points about here about how many people have invested in you. And it, like I think about that with that we can all think about how many people have invested in us to get us to where we are now. And how much are we investing in the next generation and who are we investing in, which is, which is so key. Yeah. I mean, that's the question that I ask myself, you know, and, and ask everyone who's listening or reading the book to reflect on is just to think for a moment, how many people in my life can I, that, you know, immediately come to mind or perhaps with a little bit of reflection that have had an enormous uh, influence on who I am today. They're the sort of investors that I'm talking about. And then it never hurts to reflect as well to think how many people can I think of that I'm intentionally investing in or have invested in today that perhaps 
would be thinking the same things about me. Um, and if you can't think of too many people, then that's a pretty good indicator. Yeah. Uh, perhaps that your the, the investments that you've made uh, have been in the wrong areas. Um, and I think in you know we're we're not talking about just the number of people that I might have trained if I'm a trainer or if I'm a lecturer, you know, the number of students that have gone through my courses, um, as important as those roles are, that's a, little, that's a different type of investment. Um, this is much more about the relationship that we've talked about here, you know, that what, what's called that true succession relationship where you can really look back and say, you know what, <clears throat> that person has really influenced me in such a positive way that I'll never uh, forget or lose uh, that quality investment in my life. And that's the big question. You know, we've, we've looked at a few questions through these podcasts. You know, we started with, well, are there any ready replacements in your organization? Mm -hmm. And this is kind of, I guess, the midpoint question in our, in our series. And that is, you know, I think the answer is, no, we don't have enough ready replacements. So then the question is, as we reach this midpoint is, well, who are we actually investing in if we do agree that we need to be preparing successes and we need to be doing it sacrificially as we learned in our projects and were very intentional about, if this is somehow hit home, then that ultimately becomes the question who are we investing in and what is the investment that we're making in these people's lives? Because it's costly yeah. uh, in terms of time. <laughs> um, none of this happens without investing time in people. And so for me, that's the challenge for me, as well as the encouragement when I know I'm doing it right. Uh, but it's the big question. Who are we investing in? So, Paul, it's one thing to think about this in terms of the organisation that you're in and looking at the people coming up, going through that too. But it's, say you're in a local church and you're looking around in your church and thinking, who are you investing in in the church as well? And it may not be, uh, like I know, <clears throat> I know there's people who may not necessarily be in, say, our youth group or our home group, but you're looking around and thinking, you know, that person you can see the the call of God on their life, but sometimes they need someone to come alongside them and encourage them. It may be invest in them, send them to a leadership course or, or connect them with other people or do other things. So it's, it's, it's maybe looking at this in the broader perspective as well. Everyone that you come across with, how can I help to raise them up to see them reach the call of God in their life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're being very specific and practical in leadership terms about encouraging uh, current uh, leaders to think about the sorts of people that are going to replace them in their particular organizations. But you're 100% right in saying that this is a principle that can actually be applied much more widely than simply thinking in your mind's eye, who, who's likely to replace me 
in one of the leadership roles that I currently have, as important as that question is, by the way. And, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned pastors and churches and things like that. I I remember talking to a pastor um, who uh, implemented sacrificial succession. He put this into place specifically for um, his successor as, as, as a pastor or pastoral successor. But one of the interesting things he said to me in reflection was, is that, you know, I'm more effective now. I'm no longer a top leader because I have more time to spend investing in younger leaders and helping other churches with their successions. So what he's learned from being intentional about a pastoral successor himself within his own organization that he's directly responsible for, it's actually freed him up to be able to invest in so many other young, uh, young men and women and also invest in other churches and organizations in advising them and giving them help in what is a really important uh, area, and that is preparing uh, people who can replace you, but also investing in people, just like what you're saying. You've got to open your eyes. It's not, it doesn't happen naturally. It just doesn't. Um, you've got to be really intentional. And I, I guess, you know, in our culture, we don't tend to have that, especially in our modern culture, where, say, the older generation is very closely involved in the next generation in terms of investing in them. You know, we often assume, well, you know, they'll learn this at university or someone will teach them that or they just have to Google it to learn. (laughs) Um, And there's truth in all of that, but it's not the same as someone uh, investing their time. And as you're saying, you know, looking for opportunities that that person themselves may not yet see. Because like a lot of times we have blind spots too. And like, I know I've had people sit me down and say, Hey, where like, I can remember a very distinct conversation with someone who told me I was too complacent and, and I needed to, you know, to get out of that and move forward and stuff. And, and actually that conversation led me to, to doing three, four different missions trips, uh, which opened up a lot of other doors for me. And I, I often look back at that and think, man, that was a tough conversation to have with me, but it, it opened up doors. And sometimes some of the succession um, discussion is, is tough conversations about things. As it well. is tough conversation. And I mean, there are people who cross our paths in life who tell us things that we need to listen to and do who are not our friends. You know, in other words, they don't give us advice because they have a relationship with us. They don't give us a lot of advice because they like us or trust us. Um, They may dislike us. Um, And you can learn from people like that. Uh, You know, I can remember someone like that who told me that I needed to become much more focused when I had my business and was just starting out. He said, you know, you're trying to be too many things to too many people. You need to focus on your niche. But part of the part of his motivation was that I was competing very well against him. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so he wasn't doing it out of the goodness of his heart, but I still learned from it. Yes. But far more valuable, you know, as um, as the, the the Bible actually says, you know, the wounds of a friend. Um, why? <laughs> because you know that they have your best intentions at heart. Um, and it also says it about the Lord. The Lord, uh, you know, if he disciplines us, then we know that it's uh, for our best. Yes. And though that's the relationship I'm talking about, you know, when you know that the investment that is being made in you is for the best and you have a relationship to prove it, then when some of those hard facts yes. get presented to us, we can actually really want to make an effort because we trust the person. Like you said, you know, it's someone whose uh, advice you value. Yeah. Which means, which, and uh, I think you're so right, Paul, that we have to be intentional about this. And it's not actually big noting ourselves or saying, I'm better than you. It's actually coming alongside them and saying, hey, I recognize this in you. Look, this is what I've learned. This is what I want to impart to you. But I also know that these are other people who can help you to, to move you forward as well. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, one of the things that we learned in our projects and as you know and if anyone's read the book you know the these are sensitive places these are hard places these are high risk environments um you know that perhaps the international crisis group would have quite a bit to say about most of these places and so one of the things we learned was being very transparent about succession and about our plans um and one of the one of the people that did invest in me i can remember him very well his name was bruce i won't mention his last name he's quite a well-known businessman but i remember him once quoting a verse that was <clears throat> a verse that uh encouraged paul the apostle where um you know the lord came to him and encouraged him to speak keep on speaking the truth because there are many supporters, many people uh, around you, uh, obviously that Paul wasn't aware of. And if we think back to poor Elijah, you know, he felt that uh, there was no one else around. And yet it turned out when he was willing to be transparent and open <laughs> and say what he knew was right, uh, it certainly annoyed Ahab to know when and Jezebel even more, but that was when the people started to come out of the woodwork. And so, yes, it is about being intentional. It's not about exactly what you say. It's not about big noting. It's not about, you know, look at me, how incredible I am. It's about being honest and saying, you know what? These are our plans. These are the things that we need to do. It may not be easy, but we must do them. When people hear that, we found that we had all sorts of support and supporters, many of them in a sense silent, understandably, who came and said, you know, we're really inspired by what you want to do. Uh, some didn't think it would work, but they said, we just want you to know we're here. We support you and we want you to know that. We may not be able to raise our voice, you know, loudly, but we just want you to know 
that we are here to help you and support you. And in some cases, these people were technically our enemies and competitors and parts of organizations who were trying to undermine us and work against us. And so, you know, these were people who were potentially compromised. He said, look, we know what you're doing. We support what you're doing. I just want you to know that we stand behind you, even though we can't necessarily openly support you. None of that happens if you're not open about it and you're not willing to share what the issues are and what the plans are and how you intentionally would like to outwork things. And so to me, that was a really big lesson, you know, and learning uh, curve is that, um, you know, we had lots of friends who we didn't realize we had because we were willing to be open and transparent. And, you know, one of the things, as you know, our organization, and you know a little bit about us, one of our key values is about being generous and about generosity. And that's not in any way to um, sort of imply that being generous is to grease wheels and things like that. But it's being generous with what we've got. And, you know, it's a really cool scripture that always challenges me uh, in Luke 16 about the parable of the shrewd manager, uh, where, you know, it talks there about um, using our resources or using our um, investments to make friends uh, of people and in particular unbelievers, uh, because they're often far better at doing deals and and working through some of this stuff than perhaps children of the light are that's what jesus said so um he's got to be right no matter how good we might think we are and so again we found just being generous i don't mean necessarily with money i mean with time explaining to people being open being transparent again we found that we had so many friends you know that we didn't necessarily know we had. I can remember when we were starting our radio stations, we were starting it in a very radical uh, area of another religion. And the person who helped open all the doors was someone from that religion who could have easily been our enemy, but said, you know, uh, I support what you're doing because what you're doing is good. And he said, because of that, I'm going to give you access to uh, businesses uh, that you would never have access to yourself. And sure enough, he was true to his word, actually more true to his word than some of the people we expected would be supporting us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, there are a lot of ways that you can be generous without money. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and often we, we boil it all down to money, but it's actually, that's actually a small part because sometimes people don't need money. <laughs> they actually need someone to sit down and say, and to just have a conversation with them to, to chew the fat, but also to say, to, to be able to ask the hard questions of them and say, Hey, what's going on? Or, or for your successor to say, this is a situation. I just need someone to talk it through with and discuss it. And what would you do in this situation? If you can help me or, and, and you may be able to help them, but you may be able to pass somebody else onto them or say, Hey, this is a good resource for you or, connect them or however that looks like it's there's a whole lot of things that you can do 
There are, you know, and there's some amazing relationships in the Bible that speak of exactly what you're talking about. You know, you think of Ruth and Naomi. Yeah. Um, Here's a woman in a new culture, doesn't know what to do, but she's got to get out there and do it because Naomi's obviously an older woman who can't. And so she takes the advice of a mentor. You think of David and Jonathan. Um, and, you know, it's an accountability dynamic. They yeah. keep each other accountable. You think of, uh, you know, Mordecai and Esther or Hadassah. Um, again, a mentoring relationship. Um, these are all really good examples of people who were really intentional about their relationships. These weren't just, you know, high and by or, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm your friend and, and so we're just going to hang out. This is really intentional advice or really intentional accountability. And, and so the, it's so important and yet it's so lacking if we just look at the statistics and the research and, mm. and what we know within mm. ourselves. Um, it's lacking. Yeah. And some of those people had, like they didn't have much wealth at all. But they did what they, um, the whole question of God asking you, what's in your hands? What do you have? And if you don't start to share that, it's not going to multiply no. in doing that. And so, so we can hold on to stuff very tightly, but it'll just shrivel down. But when we start to give out and we start to share, we start to raise up, it multiplies before us. Yeah. Well, you know, you look at Jonathan always inspires me because He's an example of someone who had everything. Yeah. Um, and yet that wasn't the foundation or basis of the relationship with David. He recognized something within David um, that he could invest into and, and help keep David accountable and himself accountable. Um, but he had to do that sacrificially. You know, in a sense, he had to take the back seat. Yeah. Um, but he was willing to do that. And to me... That's a very admirable quality yeah. uh, where potentially you've got two competitors, really. Um, but instead of competing against each other, they became uh, friends who could keep each other accountable. And that's, to me, that's powerful. And we need more of those sorts of relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny you raised... Uh, uh, Elijah, you know, second, first Kings 18 and 19, uh, for some reason they keep coming up in all sorts of things I'm reading at the moment, because I mean, he got very depressed, you know, after the, the uh, confrontation with all the other prophets and, and, and God kept asking him, what are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? And he says, oh, I'm the only one here. I'm left and he has a good grizzle, but you know, <laughs> I love the way that God responded to him. He, he, he fed him. He took care of him. He sustained him. And throughout all this noise, but it was in a still small voice that he spoke to him and said, hey, by the way, there's 7,000 others out there um, who are there as well. So, and, you know, the, the, key, the key part about that passage at the end of 1 Kings 19 was that God said to him, these are all the leaders that you need to appoint and this, and that was the answer to his situation. Go out and appoint these people as leaders. Go out and the, this is the next generation. Raise them up. And I thought 
like that's not how I would have answered the question, but that's how God answered the question um, in saying to him, you know, go out and put these uh, leaders in place, then train them up and release them uh, for what I've called them to do. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, and that was the solution that Jethro or Ruel gave to Moses when Moses was under so much pressure because he was trying to do everything himself is, you know, same thing. You need to appoint people and trust them (laughs) um, to do the job. Uh, They may not do as good a job as you. That's not the point. Um, I'm sure that Timothy and Titus uh, would uh, have thought the same thing. I'm sure that thought crossed Paul's mind quite a few times and many others as well that, you know, they're probably not quite up to my caliber. Um, But that doesn't really matter. It's a moot point, to be honest. Yeah. Um, It's about recognizing the potential in others and helping them and viewing them as successes. And I think, you know, you made a really good point. We're not just talking about role replacements here, even though that's a really important part of sacrificial succession. It's about a paradigm. It's about a paradigm of seeing in potential successes that ability to carry on the legacy and and really uh, to take the mantle forward, um, you know, and you see that later on, you know, with Elisha, that a portion, uh, you know, he asked for a portion of what Elijah had. He didn't ask for everything. No. Um, I assume because he felt that Elijah was too, you know, too big, too. Yeah. Um, but he asked for a, a portion of that and it was given to him. The only way that that, I mean, yes, that, that that's often, I, I think, over spiritualize not that you know i don't want to diminish that either but this is a portion because they spent time together yeah he's he's elijah's successor that's why he has a portion because they spent time elijah invested in him yeah uh and so to me you know these are really uh critical points that we can't miss uh is that if we're not investing in people then we can't expect that there is going to be any, you know, maturation of that investment. You know, you invest nothing, you're not going to get any sort of return. Yes. It's um, actually bringing you back to the passage in Malachi 4 at the end where the hearts of the fathers to their children and their children to their fathers. It's, you know, this whole thing that we are raising up sons and daughters to take over. And um, I was, actually someone else mentioned to me a passage this morning, Ezekiel 5.10, which actually talks about that the fathers will eat the kids. You know, it's actually not a very, like if it's, and, and um, unless successes do this correctly, we are, we can actually, the opposite can happen. We can destroy the next generation rather than raising the next generation up. Absolutely. And, and yeah, together. absolutely. Yeah. Well, Paul, we need to leave it there today. This is, as usual, a great conversation. So the question is, who are you investing in? Yourself and others? Uh, and how are our human investments going? Like we're very good at maybe keeping track of, maybe some of us are not so good about keeping track of where our financial investments are going. But what about our human resource investments? What about yeah. the investments that we're making in other people's lives? Yeah. And, and in some ways, you know, in closing, 
it gave me a new appreciation of the genealogies that we have in scripture. Cause I've often looked at them and like, you know what, these are boring, <laughs> but what they do is they document the generations in this case, biological generations, not in all cases who had an impact and influence on the next generation. And so, you know, for me, that really opened my eyes to the importance of this documentation. And, you know, that that's what I'd encourage each of us to do. And me as well is to, you're right. We often, and certainly I do it. I've got a very detailed, um, uh, sort of view of my investment portfolio in terms of finances. Uh, I'd like it to be bigger, but <laughs> um, have I sat down and done the same sort of thing with a, like a little bit of a genealogy? Yeah. Who were my parents? I don't mean biological Yeah. parents who invested in me. And then who are my successors as children, sons, and daughters yeah um perhaps it wouldn't hurt to write a genealogy like that and see you know how many offspring you really have i don't mean biological ones i've got plenty of them yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're not playing on that here we won't go there no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i hear you mate i hear you well we just pray for you guys that are listening today that that God will actually open your eyes to the ones that he is calling you to invest in and, and to be sensitive to that too, to sensitive to the whisper as um, Elijah was to say, these are the ones that God is. Yeah. And be encouraged, you know, it's a hard slog sometimes. And so for those of you who are investing in people, be encouraged because that investment will never be in vain. That's right. Very good. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you.